Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Brown, Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We'll be chatting about a historic win for Fiji, impressive performances from the underdogs, another victory for England, the return of Owen Farrell and looking ahead to South Africa against Ireland and Wales against Australia. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. How are the levels, lads? Good. Happy. You happy, James? You sound it. I'm a bit tired today. <laughs> there it Tra- is. Travelling around. Yeah, but it's not a moan. I'm very happy. But you ask me a question, I give you an honest answer. And that honest answer can generally sound like a moan. As you know, Jim, how are you feeling? I'm tired. Jim, how was your food? Not great. What's the food like in France, Jim? Not amazing. Do they do gluten-free? What is that? So, no. It was a late game last night, wasn't it? In Nice. So, nine o'clock, kick-off French time. Amazing to be at it, all the energy and emotion. And I was actually thinking about it when I was tossing and turning in bed, tossing and turning last night at like half one in the morning or early hours of the morning. The players must be like hyped up, you know, especially if you've won or even if you haven't won. Like we've played in late night games. So I was thinking, well, if I'm tired, like how are the lads feeling? Not that I'm trying to draw comparisons with me and elite athletes anymore, but I was on an early flight to Paris. So I'm in Paris now recording the pod. And then I'm off to La Rochelle to interview Rog. And then I'm going home for a few days, lads. So I'm happy. I need my bed. I need my food. Sorry, I need my wife. I need my kids. I need need a dog. Yeah, and all that. I I need my bed and I need some decent food. So I can't wait to get home. But it was good spending a few days with you midweek as well. There's a lot that's happened, but I'm just, I can't think that far back just 24 hours ago. That's it. Because the last I saw you, you were on a beach in Nice on Instagram. You had producer Rob there and his new custom-made rugby pod budgie smugglers enjoying the surf. I mean, it can't be all bad, mate. Did you get your bush out, Jim, or not? No, but Rob did. My goodness. Well, he's a northerner, so you can imagine (laughs) what he looked like. Not just any northerner. He's Stockton. He's Middlesbrough, basically. Do you think they're doing anything with bush? (laughs) Absolutely not. No. Feral. So... It was good to spend a bit of time with Rob. We went out for dinner, posh restaurant. We were eating. We didn't eat snails. We ate calamari. Didn't know what it was. He didn't know. He thought it was. He thought it was like risotto or rice. I was like, no, no, that's calamari. That's like fish. He thought it was chicken. He didn't know. But anyway, he enjoyed it. <laughs> good man. He's a good man. He enjoyed He's it. He's a great man. I mean, this is what I mean. It's like trying to unpick where we've been. So we got on the boat in Marseille, didn't we? Well, let's rewind to the night before, James, because I we flew in hot to. Marseille, well, I flew in hot to Marseille. You, you were already there. You did. And Andy Rowe and you had had a few beers before I arrived, so much so that Andy Rowe was so sloppy, he went home pretty much straight away. He was falling asleep at the table. <laughs> and he looked like he wet himself as well in them shorts, but we won't go there. We had a big night, didn't we, Jim? And I'm proud of you. You, you could say that. Go on. Are we allowed to talk about it? What does Rebecca know? Rebecca just knows that I had a blowout, and she knows what blowout means, and... It's like one, two a year. I was impressed with you, James, because there was no Jim Hamilton usual 11.30 midnight smoke bomb. You were there for the long run, weren't you? I was there. I was leading the charge. You could say that. Sweating out, but yeah, you're leading the charge. Karaoke going, good fun, and then got back to the hotel room, and it was about 45 degrees in there. The aircon didn't work. Classic French hotel, fish fingers for beds. And so I probably lost about another three kilos in sweat from that night. And then we get on the boat which was good fun, wasn't it? Yeah, I enjoyed being on the boat. Yeah, with Jamie Roberts. I mean, it's a bit of a weird setup. And again, when we were doing the live show there, I say a weird setup because I've never slept on a boat. Well, I have actually in Monaco with Noel Edmonds, Chris Evans's boat. Yeah, but we weren't moving. It was like literally just, it basically could have been a, a nice hotel. But this one was like floating out over the Med. 
just weird. But I enjoyed it like I did. Like I, I genuinely liked the setup that we had there and doing a live show. It felt like a, I'm going to say, an enhanced version of Butlins. That's what it felt like on a moving <laughs> Titanic. I wouldn't know what Butlins is like. Do you know, Jim? Yeah, I've been to Butlins. Mate, of course I have. Salt of the earth, mate. Salt of the earth. The live show went well, actually. There was uh, a big, big Welsh contingent. I don't know what it is about these live shows. We had Hoggy at Flatiron Square a few weeks back. Everyone's singing Flower of Scotland in London. We're on a boat in the south of France. Jamie Roberts on there. Start singing the national anthem. When are we going to sing God Save the King, lads? Jim, you're English. Not a great anthem, though, is it? That's not binding people, is it, together? God Save the King. It should do, because I think it's a great anthem. But yeah, it was a great live show. Loads of Welsh there, load of tattoos, load of vests, load of people with half a set of teeth. A classic Welsh. Salt the earth people, the Welsh. Good fun. And Jamie Roberts did well. He needs to sort his lid out, though, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. No, he's done that a few times. Yeah, he's he's tried. Th there's no more. He's gone to Turkey and it's not worked. <laughs> yeah, I think he's gone to Turkey, Harley Street, back to Turkey, back to Harley Street, and they're like, look, mate, there are, there are no more follicles. <laughs> uh, but good fun. And then a few beers and then off the boat in the morning and all my Saturday. So while Jim is on the beach in Nice, I headed to Marseille Airport to fly home, being the uh, good family man I am. I had to take the kids to a kids' party Saturday afternoon that I promised them I'd get back for. Oh, no. Try 10 hours in the airport, courtesy of British Airways. Delayed flights, delayed flight, delayed flight. Oh, no, we're going to cancel it five hours later. And didn't we know about it? Did oh, we didn't not we know, know about, about it? it? We did. I was raging. But what I've got to say, Jim, is I spent a day in an airport watching a bit of rugby on the iPad, a little bit dusty from the night before and the night before, with a true Scotsman from Coventry. Give him a shout out. He listens to the pod. Bill. Bill and his wife. They were helping me out. Give me the charger. Bill and his wife isn't a Scottish name, Andrew. Bill and his wife. His wife's English. Oh. Doesn't want to be named. Bill and his wife. Yeah, doesn't, she didn't want to be named because she's embarrassed to be ma married to a Scot. But I thought, hey, hold on, we've got a real Scotsman from Coventry. Listens to the pod. Actually, they're Leamington, so a little bit more upmarket. Oh, well, it's very different. It is very different. And I'm like, you must know Jim. You must be kind of related to Jim being Scottish from Cov. And he looked at me and goes, ah, no, that fucking idiot's got an English accent. Hey, he ain't a Scot. <laughs> so uh, I spent the day with him and his wife in the airport for a, a good 10-hour stint, thanks to British Airways. And uh, yeah, got home just after midnight, even more tired, before getting up, taking the kids to another party Sunday morning. So you're right, Jim. I'm knackered. I'm fucked. <laughs> There's only real one place to start. Fiji. I mean, one picked the game in the second as well, but how big of a win is that in terms of World Cup history and then also just in the context of the World Game? I mean, I had them down to win the game. I looked at the profile of the team, looked at both teams on paper, looked at the form of both teams, the way that Fiji played against Wales, the fact that Fiji beat England, and I put that outrageous tweet out saying it shook the rugby world. There's a big point to be made that they could have been favourites going to that game by a lot of people. Didn't you say you'd seen enough from Australia? They're, they're coming good a few weeks back. Like, they're good, they're good. You know, Eddie, he knows. I'll tell you what Eddie knows. He knows how to lose a game. That's what he knows. Played seven, lost six. Cheers, Eddie. He knows how to make a press conference absolute tumbleweeds as well, let's be honest. I loved it. One of the most awkward viewing. If you can go back and watch Eddie Jones' press conference with Dave Parecki, the stand-in skipper who I played with at Saracens, it is one of the best press conferences for awkwardness you've ever seen in your life. 18 minutes of misery and pauses. And when they asked him about the bonus point. So funny. <laughs> so funny. That's why they call it a bonus point, mate. Yeah, of course. But on to Fiji, it wasn't even close. Like, they comfortably won that game. Like, Australia scored two tries. One of them shouldn't have been a try. Their first one where Arnold knocked the ball back and they went for a 50-22, ended up scoring off the back of that, put them in the position to score. Comfortable win. And it was the most un-Fiji-like performance yeah. that I have seen. The amount of kicking. And we can get onto the kicking, like it's a topical point again over the weekend. But they kicked the ball 29 times out of hand 29 times out of hand sorry good it might be stealing your thunder here but I'm loving the match centre app at the minute because I think it's quite important to kind of just look at different comparisons and their only try came off a box kick the fact that they won it like that is I would say a huge positive for them and a massive worry for whoever plays them if they make the quarters be interested to see how the ball unfolds but whoever plays them, it, that's worrying because they've got all facets of the game yeah. as well as kicking at goal as well. It was great to see, wasn't it? Because it was, as Jim said, so un-Fijian. 
around game management, control, and the things with Fijian teams historically, we've always seen the likes of Tuasova and Nathalevu and freaks, and I mean that in the most positive way, freaks of nature in terms of ball skill, physical ability, step in, all that stuff. They've always had that. What they've always struggled with is the nuts and bolts of a game, the set piece, the game management, a fly-off that can put them in the corners, nines, running a game, as a lot of the top teams do. And it's a testament to Glenn Jackson on the coaching staff, Daryl Gibson, Simon Rao-Louis, just how they've used their experience of playing premiership, playing super rugby, playing internationally and understanding you know, what it takes to win big games. Marry that up with the skill level, the power, the stepping ability, the offloading ability that they've got, which we didn't see masses of, did we? I thought it was a brilliantly prepared team. Tactically, they were spot on. And as Jim said, they're a real threat now to anyone because no one fancies tackling Fijians, full stop, right? I mean, some boys will be trying to smash them, but when you've got Bottier, when you've got Tuasova, Nathalevu, you could list loads of them. That physical confrontation is huge, but you could always find holes in them, the fitness side of it or maybe the work rate side of it. And This is historically. They stay competitive, but then the set piece fails or something like that. But this was a monumental victory for them. It's the first time they've beaten Australia in 69, what a number, years, it's just amazing for them, their country. Imagine the Carver Party last night mm. and the sing song and the islands going mad. The place has been through a lot as a country, full stop. But everything that they play for, the jersey, the feel good factor. And Jim said it, loads of people have said it. They're everyone's kind of second team or a lot of people's second team. Everyone enjoys watching Fiji unless you, it's your team playing against them and you watch them with a smile on your face. We all know a lot of Fijian characters that are always happy-go-lucky, giggly people that just enjoy life and they're bloody good at rugby as well. So the nuts and bolts on their game that have been added on and the skill level of the players, the work rate to get and the effort to get to where they've got to is phenomenal. And now, you know, they could win that group. And you think about it, go back to last week, Semi Randrandra drops that ball over the top. There wasn't a yellow card, some game-changing thing. They could and should really be two from two. But those two bonus points they got last week, and I said it, last week on the pod about the Wales game could be so crucial. Only downside is they missed that kick at the end to take the bonus point away from Australia, which grand scheme of things doesn't matter really, but it, it might do in the long run. So yeah, amazing for Fiji. So tough for them. And I'm sure everyone bar the Australians are. Where they've got it right now, and you kind of mentioned it loosely there, the coaching setup. So Simon Rao-Louis, who played for Fiji. What are you saying about Stern Verne? Well, I'm saying that Stern Verne isn't Fijian. And <laughs> we know that the culture and the way that they carry themselves is very different. Yeah. It was a completely different culture. Dan Leo has spoken about the Pacific Island nations. They need to be managed differently. I'm not saying that Verne didn't manage them. I don't know whether they like shaking hands or they don't shake hands. I don't know how that works. But with... with <laughs> Simon Rao-Louis at the helm, you've got Daryl Gibson. I saw Glenn Jackson as well, the former referee that's in the mix. They know across them three, I say Glenn Jackson as a referee. but a player. Yeah, of course, great player as well. Bloody hell, forget that. But you've got Gibbo, who me and Goody know as well, who's done the rounds, who's had his ups and downs in coaching. So he's not a new coach going in. And then you've got Simon Rao-Louis, who is one of them and understands the psyche, but also understands the framework was Saracens, not in the glory days, but back in the day, he's been in Racing 92 as well. So you think about the experience as a whole that they've got, and then you marry in that with the world-class players. They've probably got two or three of the best players in the world right now in their team, in Tuasova when he's fit, Nithalevu as well. Semi Randra probably isn't as good as he was, but he's still unbelievable. You tackle him. Absolutely not. But the... <laughs> foundations of a very good team are there and you've got the foundations of a very good team and you sparkle in ungodly like talent which they have and that is what you get and we're starting to see which we all hoped you remember Fiji won gold at the Olympics like the history that they have in rugby and everyone has been chomping at the bit to see them go to the next level in 15s that game against Wales I would say they were better but the ball was slippier and they obviously lost. So it doesn't reflect that. But the worrying thing for all the other teams, as I'll go back to it, is the way that they beat Australia with the kicking and the way that they managed the game. And the fact that they're confident now going in. I love watching them. It's a joy. And as a 
casual, which I'm not. You know, Scotland won't play Fiji until the final, I think, if that's how it all works out. And then it's a hey. shootout. <laughs> but yeah, brilliant. Awesome for the game. Awesome for us to talk about them. What a performance. Looking at it, being an England fan, England look like we're going to win our group now. And we'll come on to that later. But I hope Fiji win their group so we mm. don't have to play them in the quarterfinals. I'd much rather play Wales or Australia in a quarterfinal if I'm England than Fiji. Really? That's a testament to where they're at. And maybe it puts into context that performance that they put in at, at Twickenham as well. Maybe England aren't that bad. Maybe just Fiji are unbelievable. It was interesting. Ashy said when I was with him at the game, he was saying that Wales is the worry for England. I was like, really? Not Fiji? He's like, no, nah, Wales. Ask him if he wants to tackle Randrandra or Tuasova. It's going to be people saying now that Fiji should be put into the rugby championship. There's obviously reasons why they aren't. What would those reasons be? Well, a bit of it is a lot of their biggest names are playing in the Northern Hemisphere. So your Tuasovas, your Nithalevus, your Bottias, Tuasui at Gloucester, Bill Matter. You, know, you could list loads of them. And they have got, obviously, the Fijian Drua in Super Rugby, but it's a financial thing. And I, I generally think the Rugby Championship needs to expand and perhaps mirror maybe the Six Nations. So you have a, a six-team tournament, which you could quite easily add in Japan and Fiji to that to make it a six-team tournament. But again, it's the whole thing we go back to in James as World Rugby content director creative director can you expand your job title to what's happening with the global season because if you get a global season it makes everything easier to align and that would allow the Fijians that ability to get the players from that are being paid handsomely in the northern hemisphere to be able to align themselves as well with the national team to play in a rugby championship or something alike where they can get released and you know, it's not going to be the players that are being fought over. It's it's clarity. So that's the big stumbling block at the minute. Needs to happen, though. Yeah, it does. It does. It does need to happen. They need to play more games and at the top level because, well, they A, they're good enough, B, they deserve it, and C, you know, we need to start to get to a level playing field across world rugby. The issue with Fiji coming into the championship, which I would love to see, is Samoa and Tonga will be arguing that they need that visibility yeah. and need to go in as well. So you have that argument as well. And I don't know, could the argument be if, I don't know, making up bloody laws and regulations along the way, but if you make it in a quarterfinal, then that automatically gives you the option to go and play in the championship. Obviously, that would never happen. But I think what we've seen across this World Cup, like even with Uruguay, like how mm -hmm. good they were against France, Unbelievable. You look at Portugal as well, like Portugal, and we can get on to Portugal, like the backstore, most of them are amateurs. Yeah. And the visit, like who, who are they playing week in, week out? So there's an argument for the second tier of the Six Nations as well to have the promotion and relegation that, Goody, I know that you're all about with Romania, Georgia, you have Spain, Portugal, these teams in there. So definitely, and I think that the showcase tournament, which is now, something has to accelerate coming out of this because we can't carry on doing what we're doing from a globalisation point of view and keep talking about it and nothing gets done. And in answer to your question, as creative director, this isn't to do necessarily with world rugby. This is to do with like Sansa, which is South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Argentina, yeah. which is whoever is controlling that. And then you know that the Champions Cup has big say over globalisation and scheduling of the season. But at the minute, I know we're in the middle of the World Cup, but you've brought up the question. I'd love to see Fiji. And how much better would they be? Jim will fix it. You can't say Jim will fix no, it now. But uh, it's um, too much. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to fix anything. You know that. And it's tongue in cheek. But something needs to be accelerated, I think, as we come out of the World Cup. Otherwise, when? If not now, then when? Yeah, maybe a two-tier rugby championship with promotion yeah. and relegation is, is an answer. Yeah. Played at the same time, like yeah. you said. You said playing at the same time. So you have like international windows, so it's so easy. You have international Six Nations Championship going on at the same time. Then you go into a club competition. Then you go into a Champions Cup competition back into international. Yeah. So everyone knows Fixed the calendar. It. We've done it. There we go. We've done it. Bill. Bang. Bill, get on with it. And Fiji can take Australia's spot in the top tier. Exactly. Oh, Andy Rowe. That's harsh. Mate, they're growing. They're a young team. Would the All Blacks beat Fiji, Andy Rowe? Of course they would. Arrogance. See the arrogance. <laughs> of course they would. Not even not even questioning it. Hey, we're going to win the whole title. There you go. Oh, we're, let's look at Australia, though, because their trajectory is completely the opposite 
of Fiji's trajectory at the moment. As much as you want to say they're a growing team. Throw the baguettes at me, mate. Probably know more about the Fijian players than the Australians. And is that saying something? Well, yeah, because we kind of understand rugby and we know rugby. And that is because the Australian team, there's a lot, lot of new players in there. And the superstars of years gone by and the high-profile players, no Hooper, no Quay Cooper, Pocock's obviously retired. Like these big names that are kind of synonymous with the Wallabies over years gone by, they're no longer there. And yeah, there are a few Samu Karevi people would have heard of. Nick White, friend of the show as well. Will Skelton, who's injured. That was a big loss. Massive, because they lacked, and this comes onto it, they've got no power, they've got no size, you've got no fans. Like, that is a snapshot of Australia. It's yeah, They're really struggling for a bit of identity, size, power, and they got beat up against Fiji. I just still think, maybe again, it's just because of the history of the tournament of the World Cup for Australia. But yeah, they were average at the weekend. Discipline was poor. And Eddie mentioned it in the press conference, which was one of the best press conferences I've ever heard. You're not on the front foot. You're on the back foot constantly. You're going to give away penalties. So tough day at the office for Australia. A team mirrors their coach, James. And Eddie Jones is very <laughs> ill-disciplined in his press conferences and what he says. Come on a journey, mate. Well, if you don't know anything about rugby, don't ask me that question, mate. Yeah, go on. Give us it. And he goes mad at people. And then that portrays onto his team. 18 penalties. Poor discipline. And you mentioned that they're Quay Cooper or a Bernard Foley. He's taken Carter Gordon, who I think is going to be a hell of a player. One thing I'm going to say about Eddie Jones, he's talking about using this World Cup as a springboard to give players experience for a future World Cup. Like, you've disrespected the competition by saying that. And I get giving younger players experience, but he's basically half writing off their chances going, oh, we're not using this World Cup or something. Imagine if you're Australian and you hear that mm. and you're thinking, oh, I desperately want to get behind this team. But he's like, oh, it doesn't really matter, this World Cup, because we're preparing these youngsters for you know the Lions or the following World Cup in four years' time. But, Goody, that's massive for them as a country because... Yeah, it is. You, you, I know what you're saying, though, with that, but... He has a point in that, that they want to be competitive at home against the Lions and they want to be in a position to be winning the World Cup in four years' time. And if they carry on in the vein in which they're in, like Hooper's not making that. He ain't in a job. Well, to do what he's done and come in how he's interacted with the media and come in how he's changed the squad and got rid of some of the highest profile, your captain in Hooper, and have the scrutiny that he has had and the history that he had with England and to get rid of Dave Rennie to bring him in, I think he is very high up in that organisation in terms of making decisions. I think that this was a plan before. I think they're like, look, he's probably said, we can't win it. We cannot win the World Cup now. I've, I'm telling you now, with experience in the World Cups before, to the board, we can't win it. So give me an opportunity to scrap the old guard, bring in the new guard, and let's aim for the Lions, where he probably won't be there, and the World Cup in four years' time, where, again, he probably won't be there. <laughs> Are you saying he's got photos of someone on the board in Australian rugby, and he's... He's using that as well, probably. He looks like he's had enough, doesn't he? He looks mm, like he he, he's sick of it. That, that's what it looks like. Start to feel sorry for him a little bit because I know he's created all this himself, but he's deranged, deluded with what he's saying at times. Just ridiculous. I don't know. I, I just think from an Australian point of view, if you're an Australian fan, everything he's kind of saying would piss you off. Like what? Well, just the fact that it seems like he's not bothered about this World Cup. It's a bloody World Cup. It's the biggest thing ever every four years. And all due respect, if they were in Scotland's position, where they're in a group with Ireland and South Africa, then you'd be like, okay, I can maybe see why. Is Paul is the supposed easiest pool that Australia will probably ever get in terms of other teams around him, innit? And he's been a failure, let's be honest, since he's taken over the job. Played seven, lost six, beaten Georgia. And it's all on this weekend. If he loses this weekend against Wales which, being a quarter Welsh, I desperately hope that Wales win, he's got to be out of a job. Or you move him upstairs, take him away from the team, take him away from the coaching, and employ someone to be a head coach that can get the best out of young people. Because we all know, all the stories are starting to come out around how he manages people, how he conducts the environment, how hard he is to work for, etc., etc. No one enjoys it. I had the Danny Cipriani story about him. You know, We've all read it about him being a horny teenager. 
I had that confirmed to me by someone else that was there and said it was definitely happened. They were definitely there and heard everything that Danny said was true. Really? Yeah. And obviously Eddie Jones came out and denied it. So there's loads of stuff and it will just keep coming out because that's how he's always handled his business and handled his environments that he's coached. And with England, started off on a big run of wins and got results and changed the narrative. He hasn't done it with Australia. So, and I said it a few weeks back, he's past his sell-by date. So if they lose to Wales, I think he's got to get moved aside or depending on the contract, moved upstairs into a managerial role where he just gets away from the players because it ain't good for him. I'm telling you that now. Well, let's talk about that game this Sunday because that's even bigger now, isn't it, considering the, the loss to Fiji. This is the big game of this pool now. 100%. 100%. And Wales, uh, you know, again, they got the bonus point at the end. Toby Falatau gets them out of a bit of a hole. Obviously, a lot of mileage to go in, in the group. You know, Fiji have got two games to go as well and two of the perceived easier games. You expect Fiji... Although Portugal and Georgia have got the ability. Jim said Georgia are going to qualify for the quarterfinals, didn't you, Jim? We said a lot of things on there, Andrew. <laughs> you thought England were going to get smashed by Argentina. <laughs> it's a knockout game, I, I think, this weekend. And Australia lose it, it will take a miracle for them to get through. Two teams that have underperformed for quite some time. Australia gone backwards under Eddie Jones. Wales have definitely taken some strides forward over the last three to four months from where they were last Six Nations. Some of the big players will come back in. Dan Bigger is so important to them in terms of game management. He made a lot of rotations, didn't he? From the Fiji game to the Portugal game, Tompkins will come back in, George North. It's mouth-watering. It's a knockout game on Sunday. Can't wait for it. You know, a big-name coach could potentially be going home. And hopefully it's Eddie Jones. On a side note for Paul C, Jim, could Georgia beat Fiji and shake it up again? I don't think so. Georgia played Australia and got absolutely hosed, didn't they? So a little bit disappointed with Georgia. Not just because of my predictions, but... You're a big fan of them, to be fair. I'm a big fan of Georgia. I love the way that they play. But the thing is, and the frustration is the game against Australia, they got hammered. The game against Scotland as well, they gave everything in the first half, saw snippets of it. Their scrum wasn't as good as we thought it would be. And we've been talking up Georgia. You know, get Georgia into the Six Nations, like they're good enough. They're not unfortunately. And you look at Fiji, what they did to Australia, look at Fiji, what they did to England as well. I'd be very, very surprised. I'd be shocked if they got beat by Georgia. I'm thinking of the game plan that Georgia could have because you're trying to pick snippets out because that pool is so tight. I think Fiji beat them comfortably. I really do. And I'd be surprised. And you know what? That's going to be the thing of the coaches to get them up, isn't it? That's going to have to be the big shift for them because they've had two massive games first up and the emotions and the hysteria of beating Australia, Georgia are going to be desperate as well. And we've seen that with the lesser teams, no disrespect, Georgia, with the teams that aren't expected to win and they've rocked up physically and the framework's there and teams have one big game in them during the World Cup. But I'd be shocked if Fiji got beat by Georgia. Goody, you mentioned that the performance didn't matter too much before the game, but are you happy with the bonus point win for England? Yeah, delighted. We're going to go through to the quarterfinals. I thought we played a really good game and the England fans were... It was amazing to see the boo... Uh, the, not the boos, the, the, uh, how much they got behind the team. Before the game, it's about winning it. But then as the game unfolds and you're watching it, we look nervous. The intensity wasn't there from the week before. We kicked the balls so many times in attack. We just didn't seem to know what to do with it. But... The boys found a way off Marla's head, just looking lost at times as a team in attack. They found it within them and they made a couple of changes. Marcus Smith comes on at fullback. I thought we were pretty dour in that first 50, 60 minutes. Um, started like a house on fire, but basically off errors from Japan. And then Japan just took the game to England with their offloading. But we found a way. It's not a sparkling performance. And if you kick it 50 times, eventually one will come off and it did. And a brilliant crossfield kick by George Ford off his wrong peg, by the way. But the result was the main thing that mattered. But then when you see the performance, you do get a bit antsy and start thinking about later in the competition, we've got to show way more to to beat the likes of Ireland or South Africa, France, New Zealand, you know, Scotland maybe if they pull a rabbit out of the hat as well. Fiji in a quarterfinal, you know, you're going to have to score tries. You, you can't just rely on kicks here and there. And we got four tries in the end. It was a relief when that Courtney Laws try was given 
because we were under the pump at times. I think it was a one-point ball game at that point and Japan were carving us open at times with offloading and various different things. But uh, it was underwhelming. I can't get away from it. Very underwhelming. Every time we get to an edge, we're kicking it. Any time we get near their 22, we're kicking it. And it's so ingrained in the players and it took the changes when Marcus Smith came on at fullback and we put some more width on the game and actually held onto the ball to try and fatigue a defence, move them around, find some space. But it took to the... 65th minute or whatever and maybe that was the game plan ball the life out of everyone and then the space will come but job done in that sense four tries that I can't really get too pumped about it but I'm pumped that we look like we're going to the quarterfinals but then I look at the next two games Chile shouldn't be a problem but Samoa are half decent boys and you know we're going to have to ramp it back up to even beat Samoa I think knowing what challenges they bring and seeing what they did at the weekend and they're offloading the game and how they attack. But play 2-1-2, very different games, but not very different in terms of England's approach. And that's the way it's going to be. Uh, I keep kidding myself that we're going to see more. And, we, you know, the game plan's going to change. But it's not. It's the way Steve's always coached. It's effective to a point until you get stopped playing that way. And then at the minute, it looks like we haven't got another way to go in terms of finding space, changing our attacking game. You know, I love Elliot Daly mate of mine and it's obviously ingrained in them to put the ball behind it's just kicking it every time it gets into the width where we don't seem to back ourselves ball in hand until the last sort of 10-15 minutes of that game and, and that's the frustrating thing for England fans and stuff but bottom line is play 2-1-2 two, two, we're in control of the group we beat Chile next week comfortably that's not being arrogant even though we've been very average and you know, there's a lot of comments on social media around how boring and dull England have been but Wins a win's a win, right? 42 kicks in play after 43 last week. It's a lot. And I had a great view of the game as well. Like I'm watching it from like the commentary position, good. And you get a great bird's eye view, don't you, of like the positional play. And it is easier from up there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like I said, if you're pitch side or whatever, it's you, you can't get a gauge on it. But the way that England play, specifically from that bird's eye view, really interesting because. As boring as it is, it looks so hard to play against because the kicks are so good. And we know that England have got world-class kickers. They actually weren't this weekend. Were they? The kicks were poor this weekend, I thought. They were poor, but even the ones that were poor that came down as 50-50s, the ones that went high, I mean, not the ones that were going long and that were going over into the dead ball or whatever, the ones that were going high that create that kind of 50-50 carnage. Look, I played in that at Saris. Like, I know what it's like, and they're conditioned to do that. Like, as in Johnny Mays, one of the quickest wingers in the game, and he's just he didn't touch the ball with the ball in hand. I think he touched it twice maybe on the wing. But it looks so hard to play against and like we mentioned the amount of kicks like Fiji kicked loads I think they were like maybe 24 25 in the game Australia kicks a little bit more than that like England were mid 40s like 44 45 kicks it's a lot it's boring the crowd were booing when they did it like Mitchell when he got the ball like he kicked the ball through and you could hear the boos coming out but our fans I'm so grateful and it's great to see so many fans get behind us and be really positive about England well, I saw Marrow's comments, like they're not there to entertain. And that it's a, it's a hard balance, isn't it? You don't want to play champagne rugby. One, England aren't at that point yet because they haven't got the confidence to do it. The ball was very slippy as well. Like both teams were knocking it on. And I saw some of the players after, they were drenched in sweat. I was stood pitch side. It was absolutely boiling. Were you sweating? Sweating profusely. Yeah, okay. I'll be honest. I had some brown trousers on and I was worried that they were going to be black by the end of the night. So, <laughs> Did you look like you shit yourself or not? I was holding in. That was nothing to do with the sweat, by the way. That was to do with uh, two long days. But it was absolutely boring. So you could see why they wouldn't play. Yeah. So they've got this foundation now and framework and identity, which we keep talking about with other teams, is to kick the balls. Like That's what it is. But I said after the game, when I was with Ashy, I was like, I felt a bit underwhelmed, like watching England. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, as in, like he was buzzing. I was like... Really? I said, but how would you be playing in that team? He said, it doesn't matter. They're there to win. I'll tell you now, Ashley would hate it and moan like hell if he's playing a team like that. Well, that's what I thought. He said he retired because that's how Eddie Jones played the game. He goes, it was shite. Exactly. That's what I mean. So that's why I asked him. I called him out on that. He said that that wasn't the case. Yeah. And he says, when you look at it, it's nine points from your first two games. And I think comfortable win over Samoa. Sorry, Samoa. Cricket score against Chile, potentially. Maybe start scoring. Well, I say cricket score. They're still struggling to score 
some tries. Imagine if that was the only try that won off Marla's head into Courtney Lord's head. Can you imagine? <laughs> the irony in that. But yeah. I, I was in the, the stadium. The fans were underwhelmed. Like, that's what it felt like. And then oh, she's like, no, look at them. We were looking at all the families who were buzzing, right? And I think how I see England, I think England should be better. So maybe that's a part of it. But they're not playing at the minute like they want to win the World Cup. Fiji are playing like they are going all out to win a World Cup. That is how they're playing. Like they're putting absolutely everything on the line. Do England need to do that? Well, probably not because, again, it's Japan. Japan have never beat England. They think the kicking game will be enough for them. Like Bortha said in his press conference, that the last quarter will be where they can get away, which they did. And they moved away from Japan and they scored a few tries and got a bonus point when it's all said and done. But being there just felt a bit underwhelming. And maybe that was because the crowd were booing and because it wasn't that entertaining. Has George Ford done enough to keep a spot at 10? Because you've got Owen Farrell coming back for Chile. This weekend, I think he'll go Faz back at 10, skipper, because he's got to play in that squad. He's our named captain and Steve's backed him to the cowsheds and back. I think Marcus Smith will start at fullback. He looked good at 15. Yeah, he did. But, you know, back end of the game, he's not a starting 15 in a yeah. quarterfinal of a World Cup, is he? Let's be honest. And I actually called us 50-odd minutes in. I'm like, Marcus Smith, anyone? And I meant at 10 because England were just kicking the balls the whole time. But George Ford, I'm just going to say it. I sung his praises ridiculously last week against Argentina because he was out of this world good in terms of managing the game, how the game was played against 14 men, drop goals, goal kicking, game management, outstanding, off the charts good. This week, he gets man of the match again, and I'm thinking, how? How's he got man of the match? Because we just kicked everything, and we kicked so much possession away, he got lost in attack, all that stuff, got kicked, charged down. Benno was England's best player for me. And with his celebrating, not straight a line out. And he loves it, doesn't he? And he's getting a bit of heat about that. But he's an energetic, passionate person. I love it. When you see it against the Kiwis, see if you love it then, pal. <laughs> Probably not. Because <laughs> I guarantee you'll change your mind. It's comical at times. I th- Part of me thinks he's looking for the camera to do it as well now. Maybe I'm just a cynic. I don't know. But I thought he was our best player. Courtney Laws was big as well. I thought Ludlum did well when he was on. But with Farrell coming back, I think, and I don't agree with it, but I think for the Samoa game, he's going to pick a team that he's going to pick in the quarterfinal, all things being equal with injuries and bans. And I think he'll go forward at 10, Farrell at 12, Tuilangi at 13. I don't agree with it. I think you've got to play Farrell at 10 or nowhere and that's a big decision for him. But the get out is to bin off Marchant, who I think's played very well in two games, although he hardly touched the ball last night. I think his third touch of the game was his try towards the end. But that's not his fault. That's the game plan and how they're you know, manufacturing things. Same with Manu. Manu hardly touched the ball. A few carries and made 12 metres. But the easy thing for Borthwick is the wrong thing. The easy thing is to slot Farrell in at 12 against Samoa Ford at 10 and Tuolangi at 13 and move March on the side. But I don't think that's right. And I don't think George Ford will look back at his performance last night and think he had a really top, tip-top game. England two from two. I think George Ford will get a rest this weekend or might sit on the bench, depending if he rests Stewart completely. And there we are. What would you do, Jim? Yeah, I think Stewart's got a dead leg as well. So I think we'll see Smith at 15. The rumours were there, weren't they, about him potentially starting against Argentina. Never saw it until, again, the bird's eye view yesterday. Looked energetic, offers something completely different. Is he better than Stewart in that position? Absolutely not. You ain't starting Marcus Smith out of Stewart. No, you're not. In a big game. No, but it's interesting that he started to dabble with that now that Ford's come back. But I agree with you, Ford. I didn't actually think Ford played that well. It was sensational the week before. I think Farrell should start at 10. But again, the rumours, Ashley thinks the same. Some of the lads who were there were kind of talking about potentially that's what it was going to look like. Goody, you've got a feeling for it as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Uh, Benno mentioned that he was hands down man of the match for me. 111 metres made comfortably higher than anyone else on that pitch. I think Matsushima was 90 or something. What do you mean Mike Ford gave Man of the Match out to his son? What do you mean Mike Ford? How's that? Well, apparently it was Mike Ford who gave Man of the Match to George Ford. No, <laughs> it was. How's he doing that? Was he on TV? <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> TV, the TV don't do it. That's why I said who's given Man of the Match there, because it's not the commentators in the World Cup. Someone pitch side who can't see anything. Yeah, they've probably picked a fan out or something, and it's by chance they picked Mike Ford out of the crowd. He goes, give it my son, greatest player ever. Ireland, for me, have kind of... I don't know. I feel like they've kind of slipped under the radar, but they were impressive against Tonga, weren't they? feels like they've kind of arrived. 
Yeah, Ireland, again, Tonga looked scary at points in terms of physicality and size. And it looked a tough physical game for Ireland, like initially. Then they just pulled away, didn't they? They're just relentless, just looked very good. Very good, runners off nine, slow ball into quick ball, very efficient. Best runners off nine in the world. <laughs> Did I say <laughs> Did I say that? I think you tweeted something think like you that, didn't you? It, yeah. I'm suing the Times. I'm suing them. <laughs> Stop Do me. not call me fat. Runners off nine. Um, <laughs> we should do a thing on Twitter, shouldn't we? We should read out each other's tweets. Yeah. It'd fucking be hilarious. But, mate, Ireland are good. Not been tested yet, have they? So it's been a slow build for them. It was a good physical contest against Tonga. But my goodness me, the game against South Africa, that's where we're going to see. And I, just, I genuinely think we're looking at the two best teams, South Africa and Ireland, on Saturday night. And that'll give us a good gauge on the blanket of the tournament, as we've seen everyone else. And this is the thing about Ireland. They are so well organised. The whole squad, whoever's sort of playing in different positions and the interchanging of players, understanding the lines, understanding the patterns. They're a well-oiled machine, right? Johnny Sexton... Thought he was outstanding. You know, obviously breaks the record with his try. So good to see him celebrate like that as well. Like really enjoying that moment, I thought. Jumping for joy like he was a little kid. It was brilliant to watch. And yeah, like they've not been properly tested, Ireland. But you can only beat what's in front of you. And what they've done is dispatched both teams in front of them with ease. And Tonga could have been a bit of a banana skin with their physicality and what they have with you know some classy, classy operators. Piatel. I watched Piatel. Do you watch that step that he's put on? How's your knee? Your knee's strapped up as well. I'm thinking that's how Shout Brits did his ACL, the old jump step and pop. And he's got his strapped up like he's a, a mummy. And he still ripped it out and his knee was fine. Like they have threats, didn't they? But Ireland just put them to bed properly with a clinical performance that everyone was on the same hymn sheet, knowing their lines, understanding the scale of the task with the physicality that was coming up against them. But they're running hard into space, running decoy lines, knowing you might get a shoulder, but also knowing that you're opening up space elsewhere for the clinical attack they've got. And, you know, credit to Catty and the other coaches with Ireland that have created that. But it will be severely tested this week, obviously, against Africa. Before we get into that game, Jim, Tonga, were you disappointed with them? Or do you think they've got anything that could trouble Scotland this weekend? Mate, Ireland are very good. They went full noise, didn't they? So that shows how much they respect them. They went full noise, even though they've got the biggest game the following week. So if Farrell's worried about Tonga, then we should be worried about Tonga as well. So, yeah, absolutely. And this was the, always the worry, right, with this pool. And when we saw it unfold, pool B, pool of death and all that, Scotland, again, sound like a broken record. We saw snippets against South Africa. We struggled with physicality and size of teams. I think we're better than we've ever been. I still do believe that, even though we lost to South Africa and didn't score a try. The expectation is, is that we play Tonga and we beat Tonga comfortably. Love Tonga, love what they stand for, but they're an aging team. They are. You look at the players that they've got in ex-All Blacks, albeit they were very good. They would have been world-class back in their time. I mentioned Charles Piertau, Malachi Fekato, we've spoken about him. It's going to be a tough game, tough physical game. I was tweeting actually about Ty Furlong. How hanging was he? Like, as in, in the nicest regard, he's one of the best titans in the world, isn't yeah. he? And I was just saying, he needs to come off. He was absolutely fucked. <laughs> he was. He had to go back on. He had to go back on. So he was uh, hanging. So I was like, mercy, get him off. Because playing these lads is tough physically, but in the conditions as well. We cannot look past Tonga because they'll be looking for a scalp. This will be the game. They probably profiled the three games, South Africa, Ireland, Scotland, in that order. And they thought, out of that, Scotland's the one that we're going to go for. And they've beaten Scotland before. I weren't playing, by the way. Andy Robinson got this out, but they beat Scotland before. Yeah, and the thing with it is, and this isn't to do with Scotland necessarily, but it is if you lose, Tonga will be aiming for this one to finish third in the group, so you automatically qualify for the next World Cup. Correct. That's what it's about for Tonga. Some of these players won't be around, so you Piatows and Fekatoas, but they can leave a legacy for their national team and the players that are going to follow them at the next World Cup. And that's the big scalp for and the big motivation for Tonga. Scotland won't be thinking like that because Scotland will be thinking we've got to beat Tonga, then we've got to beat Ireland in the last game as well as Romania. It's a banana skin, but you should expect Scotland to win. Just looking at this poll, 
it's just crazy. I know we've talked about it loads about how stacked it is, but we're seeing it's how tough it is with the sides that teams are having to pick. Like Farrell going for his top fifteen, his top side for the first two games. Are you guys surprised that he hasn't rested a few of his big guns considering the games he's got coming up? I'm not, actually. When you look back at it now, and it's easy in hindsight, Sexton comes off at half time. The only thing he could have done was play a change-up team for the opening game, which then, you know, if it doesn't go that well, and we've seen some of the change-up teams, France's second team effectively against Uruguay, and everyone's always talking about how good Uruguay were and, you know, France, have they started a bit? So if you start with a stutter, and we know about Ireland's World Cup history, it's all about momentum. So he's gone big in his first game and they put Romania away. Big in his second game. And he's probably saying we can go big for three on the spin because then they've got the week off before they play Scotland in the last game, right? Right. So I, I think that's that's the mentality. But the fact that, you know, he pulled Sexton off at half time, not in that nice way of pulling him off. He he took him off. Ringrose comes off after 49 minutes. Kelleher came off as well. There's obviously the issue around Hooker. Is Sheehan going to be fit? Porter came off at half time. Furlong came off and then, bless him, had to go back on. Good luck to your son. James Ryan comes off after 49 minutes. So I don't think they're going to be in too bad a place physically with what they've done so far. The big two tests for them are coming up, you know, in their last two group games, of which the biggest one is this weekend. But they they feel primed and ready for South Africa now this weekend as opposed to a stuttery first week potentially and then the first team starting against Tonga. So I think he's got the balance right, but that's just how the games lie. And the week off leading to Scotland helps him no end. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. This game this weekend is huge, isn't it, in the scheme of things? Um, yeah, it is. I'm pausing slightly because that's the... Scottish in me, but it's massive. I think it's massive from a mentality point of view for Ireland yeah. because this is their first biggest game. The first biggest game going into the World Cup as the number one team in the world, the history in World Cups before, up against the world champions who are probably the form team in the world from what we've seen, how they performed over the last three or four weeks. So it's massive. It doesn't get any bigger. This is the game of the weekend. We mentioned the Wales-Australia game, which will be class. But this is the one. This is the one that people want to see. And it's probably because of the way that they play as well. Like the physicality, the differences. Like that's going to be the intriguing watch when you're looking at it. Is South Africa a route one? And they've added on this new level of flair and offloading, the kick passing into space. They're littered with world-class players. And you've got Ireland where the expectation is so high going in. This is what we've been waiting for. Like we're talking about this Paul loads. Potential final, isn't it? In reality. There we go. People talking about that first game, the All Blacks against France. That could be a final. All Blacks, no chance at the minute. <laughs> Making a final. But genuinely, these two, they're two of the best three teams in the world. And so it's, a, it's got a final potentially written all over it. Both teams can afford to lose it. More so South Africa because they've already beaten Scotland. Is it the be all and end all? No. But yes, it is in other ways around what Jim said, momentum and, you know, getting that one over an opposition that you could meet later in a, the big dance at the end of the World Cup. So, yeah, I just hope Andre Pollard can hook at scrum time and throw in a line out because, you know, Malcolm Mark's gone, Andre Pollard in to replace him. That's huge, eh? That is the big thing. Just on, on Malcolm Marks, like with Scott Berger, I asked him who the best player was in South Africa's squad, thinking he'd say like Khaleesi, or Marnie Leboc at the minute, or Marks. Delande. He said Malcolm Marks. And then he got. Then he was announced injured. Like He's seen as the best player, or one of the best players, by one of the best players who have ever done it, in that team, and he's out. But that is a massive loss. So I don't even know who the next hooker is. You've got Bungi Umbanambi, who I know. Bungi Umbanambi, and then you've got Joseph Dweba. Exactly. I've seen Joseph Dweba a little bit, but the point of difference for South Africa has been the bomb squad coming on like that kind of trio and now you've got Andre Pollard coming on for Bongi and Banambi at about 49 minutes <laughs> you never know hey could happen Rassi could do that I'm chuffed for Andre because it was a bit of a surprise in the first place and he had such a big impact on the last World Cup they're getting him obviously ready for knockout stages but it does change the dynamic massively and you talk about a dynamic of a 10 and there is the goal kicking issue but 
you heard what Sia Khaleesi said last week around we back everyone. We've got Faf, we've got other kickers as well, Cheslin Colby. But the fact that Andre comes back in and you know brings a whole different dynamic to that team, they're significantly weaker without Malcolm Marks, but significantly stronger with Andre Pollard in the squad. And where he fits in is the conundrum now for Nienaber. He won't start this weekend, obviously. I don't think he will. The fact that they've got that to revert to type, especially after losing a player of Malcolm Marx's stature is a, is a massive sort of positive for Nina. But if you do need to change the game and go back to proper old school South Africa ways to win knockout games. Portugal against Wales. Wales, they did make 12 changes from the game against Fiji, but Portugal were much better than we thought they'd be, wouldn't they? My goodness me. Fair play. Fair play. Them and Uruguay, we didn't even mention them, but how well they played and this is the thing now you can see the evolution of rugby so from a structure point of view from the way that teams are set up by how they attack the offloading ability you know if that's Portugal played Scotland how they played now played us in 2007 they would have beat us I don't know whether I don't know what kind of analogy that is or it has zero relevance to what I'm saying well it shows that they've closed the gap it shows that they've closed the gap that's the kind of point that I'm trying to make from a way that a team is set up and the athleticism, the movement and the power, the frustration is, and you can, you know, you can see that it's going to unfold, right? You know that their scrum isn't going to hold up. You know that in the middle of a driving line-out that someone's going to drop the ball or they're going to give away a silly penalty for sealing off. So there's a, a few small things that add up to being a big thing. But in terms of like the guts and the desire... I can't remember whether we've had it in World Cups gone by because the minnows or supposed minnows have just been spanked by 100 points. But everything around, like Uruguay, the press conference after, the emotion around that, and maybe it's because we've got social media and the way that it's kind of portrayed on there, but the same, like the Portugal captain, his interview after, and he's like, we're, we're amateurs, yeah. effectively. Unbelievable when you think about how well that they played and how far into that game they stuck in they're offloading the way that the excitement around that team the fans in the stadium as well like obviously football's the number one in Portugal isn't it and the fact that they're coming out and supporting the Portugal rugby team like that it's brilliant I love that part of the World Cup as well like people are like oh there's too many teams like you don't want teams that are going to get hammered Portugal's going to get absolutely smoked and then they put in a performance like that against Wales you can only tip your slippers to them Now James question for you Nicholas Martins try how good from the line out, little dinky do around the front. Yeah. Did you see anything like that coming from a team of Portugal's stature? All due respect. And we had him on last week, didn't we? Victor Matfield has been in that camp. He has. And he mentioned it about he took USA's line outs to the cleaners. He's taken Wales line outs to the cleaners as well from afar. He has. You're welcome, Portugal. He was on the pod. He's obviously sent some further notes and that line out move to score the try. The celebrations, I thought it was brilliant. One of the best things I've seen this weekend. And if Gatland didn't think we were such idiots, he'd still be listening to it and he would have picked that out and said, the line out, you've got to beware because the old dinky-do around the front, the old no-look pass. We were talking at Manny Lebox no-look kick pass. I know it's a very different skill to the drop-down from the line out, but yeah, great bit of skill. Looked phenomenal and it just shows you Wales weren't quite on, were they? Because it's only Portugal. And that's the worry, isn't it? As in, you've got to be fully loaded every week because they're coming. Just shows, doesn't it? When you look at Fiji and their coaching panel that you mentioned, and then you look at Matfield's influence on the lineout, just how much like these second-tier teams can benefit from top-quality coaches getting involved in their systems. James, this is for you. When? Where? You can, you can help out a Tier 2 nation, Scotland, sort the lineout out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Andrew... Don't get carried away. You're going back to Edinburgh. You live in Edinburgh. Sort of moot. I'd love to one day, you know, as in give back in that way that Matt Field has done. You've just got two legends of their own countries just giving back to the game which gave them so much. So I would be up for doing that at some point, but just not now. You know how busy I am. Get yourself down to Barker's. Barker's butts. Start there. No and build, build your no. coaching CV. I live in Edinburgh. I live in Edinburgh, Andrew. And lads, we've spoken so far without mentioning any cards but let's talk about that red card to Pinto ridiculous <laughs> Goody, that's just the worst I've ever seen I've been holding my tongue what do you tweet Jim I'm nine hours deep into the airport lads I've lost me nut here I've been eating crisps all day I have lost me nut I'm speaking to a Scot from Cov 
who is telling me England are shy, I'm like, yeah. He's but, chewing your ear off though, isn't he? He's chewing your ear off. You think, fuck this, I'm going to Twitter. He's a good guy. He lent me his charger. But my head's gone. And then I see that. And what I feel sorry for, right? You said it earlier. Amateur players. Biggest showcase of his life. Biggest ability to earn a contract somewhere, even if it's like Pro D2 or Pro D2 in France, whatever, whatever. He might have that taken off him for the rest of the tournament. What a ridiculous decision. And people are like, oh, yes, uh, remember Paolo Odogwu or Geordie Barrett? Well, first and foremost, Geordie Barrett got his red card rescinded and he was actually looking forward, Geordie Barrett, wasn't he? Pinto, he's ran past the ball, just uh, overshot the ball where it's coming down. And so he's then trying to twist his body back. And I'm, I'm doing it in my chair now. He's then trying to twist his body back and turn to catch the ball. He's looking away from the player and naturally that front leg goes in the air. Simple physics. When your body weight takes you backwards, the lever, one lever goes up, right? And they didn't even look at that. Carl Dixon, referee, and I get Carl Dixon and the referees now are effectively told to speed along that process if you think it's a yellow card, send it to the bunker. And I'm like, well, it's a ridiculous decision to give a yellow card because you've not looked at the, to me, the physics of, and the great Brian Driscoll agrees with me. He's tipping over after catching a kick. He's twisted backwards. He's looking behind himself, not looking at what's in front of him. Technically, Josh Adams takes him out in the air because he's still in the air when the boot touches Josh Adams' face. And it's not a great look. And I'm not saying, you know, you should kick people in the face because you can't and he doesn't do that it's a pure accident and I get you know Carl Dixon's looked at it and he's gone his, his leg's in an unnatural position he's kind of rushed through it himself Carl Dixon and he said here you go it's a, yeah, reached the yellow card threshold over to the bunker for the bunker to come out for a red card he was rushed through the process because it, it, there wasn't eight minutes left in the game but he still got the decision in to give a red card the bunker could have left it and gone there's not eight minutes left in the game so we'll take our time over that he, he rushed it and he's just upgraded it to a red for the crack. For the crack. <laughs> yeah. For a, for a lot. I mean, it's one of the worst decisions I think I've ever seen in terms of a red card. How do you justify it, though, if you're the referee? Because the referee's got some black and white rules to follow, right? We talk about this every week. The guy's studs have hit a guy in the face from a kick. How do you justify that from a referee's point of view? Look, I don't think it should be a card, but if you're a referee, how do you justify that? Uh, I can't. I can't justify it because I completely disagree with it. But the process that he went through is the dangerous play. Yeah, boot to the face. But I mean, like, how do you justify not giving it a card? Wayne Barnes says, or Luke Pearce, best referee in the world between those two for me at the minute. They both go, in my opinion, he's overbalanced. He's not looking at what he's doing there. It's a complete rugby incident. It's an accident. Play on. It ain't even a penalty. I thought it was a crazy decision and I hope it gets rescinded because it should. I think it was a pure accident. All right, well, let's rattle through some quick score predictions and see who you guys are going to pick for victories and losses for this weekend. First one up, Argentina Samoa. Who's winning by how much? Oh, I mean, you've got to say there's going to be a bounce back from Argentina. I, if, if not, then I don't even know what to say about Argentina. Right, I'm going to say Argentina win by 13. But again, it's just a finger in the air with a wet tip. How <laughs> wet? Just, just a dabble. Just a, just a bit. Well, I'm, I might back Samoa here because Argentina was so bad. Ooh. And Samoa played 1-1-1. Yes, it was only against Chile. But I think they'll be quietly confident in their group. I'm going to go Samoa by four. England-Chile. Oh. England by 65. I'm going to say England by 35. Oh, big difference. Big difference. Big difference. <laughs> Georgia, Portugal. Georgia by 12. Mm, I was going to say that closer than you think. I'll go Georgia by 13. Scotland, Tonga. Scotland by 11. Really? I think it might be more than that. We're not asking you, Andy Ray. You're asking <laughs> us. I'm going to go Tonga. To lose, no. Scotland by... Get it right. 14. Oh. Scotland by 14, yeah. We need to build to a crescendo of that group and give Scotland a chance of beating Ireland. I don't think they will later in the group, but I want Scotland to have it all on that last game. So Scotland by 14. Glad you listened to me. Imagine if South Africa beat Ireland and it's all on that game, the pressure yeah. on Ireland and they just implode. I'm just setting the scene. Oh, Wales, Australia. Oh. There's a result I desperately want, and that is Wales to win. By it doesn't matter how many, I want Wales to win. 
Love to say night nights to Eddie Jones. So I'm going to back the Welsh. I'm going to go Wales by five. I think Wales win five or six as well. Go on, Jim. I, I think Australia are gone. I just think they've lost really? all confidence. You change your tune very quickly, James. I didn't want them to be. I like Australia. I like Drew Mitchell, like Gitz, Justin Harrison. Got some mates over there. I like Australia doing well at a World Cup. We had Stephen Larkham. You dislike Eddie Jones is what you're saying. Mate, that was one of the funniest press conferences I've ever seen. <laughs> so I don't want him to go. And South Africa, Ireland. Oosh. I think Ireland win. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say exactly the same. Is Eben fit? I don't know if he's fit. But this is the thing. I just think with the injuries that they've got, if Eben is an AC or a shoulder, Malcolm Mark's out. Yeah. I'm going to go Ireland by eight. And what it does to South Africa, they know how to win a World Cup after losing a group game. But it just changes the narrative and brings Andre Pollard back into the mix later in the tournament. And then they regather their momentum and get to a final. So Ireland by eight. Can I give you something that might mix it up a little bit? The Springboks have received a massive boost that Eben Etzebeth has recovered and will play. Oh, James, oh, change your mind? I'm going to say Ireland as well. <laughs> four. He doesn't rate Eben, is what you're saying there. No, I rate Eben. I rate Eben, but I think there's been such a build-up to this game for Ireland and they look primed. It feels like they're ready. And I agree with Goody. I think we're looking at the two best teams. I don't think it matters to South Africa that they lose this. They can still go all the way. But I think Ireland just looks sensational at the minute. Right, well, she finished things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, plenty of good as ever. We're going to start off in the Premiership Cup again, James. And Jersey get a mention in the good this week. They spanked Bath 34 points to 10 at the wreck. So massive shout out to the Jersey boys. What else is good? Ealing Trailblazers running along the same lines as Jersey in the Prem Cup. They beat Bristol's at Ashton Gate, 28 points to 12. So big shout out to those boys. Sam Whitelock gets a mention of the good this week. He equaled Richie McCaw's record of 148 caps for the All Blacks. So no doubt he's going to go on to get 150 uh, plus caps over this World Cup. Uruguay get a mention of the good. Hell of a performance against France. And a massive shout out as well to their skipper, Andres Villaseca, for calling out all the journos for not coming to their pre-match press conference, but all turning up to their post-match one. Springboks get a mention of the good as well this week. Fastest bonus point try in World Cup history against Romania. They look sparkling at times. Kobus Reinach in that same vein gets a mention. Two World Cup starts for him and he scored the two fastest World Cup hat-tricks from the start of a match. So, decent stat for him. Some player, Kobus Reinach. Uh, what else is good? Ireland scored 20 tries in two games, which equals the most ever at a World Cup. Shout out to the Ireland boys. They're on fire at the minute. And to Johnny Sexton as well, overtaking Ronan O'Gara's Ireland point-scoring record with his try and brilliant celebration. So, uh, big shout out to my mate, Johnny Sexton. Portugal get a shout out in the good for their outstanding performance against Wales. The line-out try, the dinky-do at the front and the heart and ability that they showed. Some of their offloading and ball play was outstanding and maybe England could learn a thing or two about that. I'm going to give the tournament organisers. Now, I don't know who it is. I don't know who made the decision. Me. I put them in the bad last week. Was it you, Jim? Well, if it's good, it's me. And whoever decided to go with the anthems that way with the choir so out of tune with the actual anthems themselves. But... They must listen to the podcast. So the tournament organisers or whoever is in charge of the national anthems for listening to the pod, changing what people wanted and just belting out the anthems properly again. So uh, well done to them for listening and making a change on the hoof. But the good this week can only go to one place, one country, one set of brilliant people. Fiji with their first win over Australia in 69 years. They battered them at the breakdown. They were tactically brilliant. It's the biggest win in the country's history in terms of stature. The islands would have been going mad. The game management and the performance was a little bit un-Fijian-like from what you'd expect, but a real feather in their cap for how they can play both ways because we know all about their offloading game. Brilliant to see the emotional scenes afterwards. Simon Rao-Louis just sat in his chair, loved it. He was like, yeah, that's what we do. But Fiji, for their performance and everything they did over the weekend to win that game, uh, that's why they get the good this week. The bad, few bits of bad. LaRue Malan's injury. It was a horrific sight, seeing his foot pointing the wrong way. So uh, our thoughts are with him, and hopefully... 
he makes a strong recovery from that. That was pretty bad. Malcolm Marks, we mentioned earlier, his injury ruling him out of the World Cup is bad news for the South Africans. So that is some bad and some even more bad, some badder bad than Malcolm Marks' injury is some of the refereeing and bunker inconsistencies continuing at the World Cup. De Groot gets a red card, rightly so, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But Taufi Fanua's one, for me, was very similar. The inconsistencies of that, the shocking decision, in my opinion, to give Pinto a red card. So uh, shouldn't be talking about it, but we have to. They get a mention of the bad. The refereeing and bunker inconsistencies are what goes into the bad this week, but they don't win the bad because the bad goes to... Oh, good old mate. How are you, mate? Eddie. Yeah, mate. How are you? Come on the journey. Well, your journey's nearly gone, mate. You're going home, hopefully. Uh, Eddie Jones in Australia are going to get the bad this week. Played seven, lost six, Eddie. How are you? 18 penalties against the Australians and their first loss to Fiji. So, Eddie, are you okay? Are you okay, Eddie? I hope you are, Eddie, because I do worry about you because you talk absolute drivel at times. But you've got to get the bad, Eddie, because... Put it on me, mate. Throw your baguettes and your croissants at me, mate. Eddie Jones, Australia, you get the bad this week. And then the ugly, two bits of ugly, the ugly decision to give Pinto a red card. I was raging. Ten hours into the airport, I see that, not happy. So that was ugly by the bunker system to upgrade it to a red card. But the ugly this week goes to Ethan De Groot of New Zealand for a no-wrap shoulder to the head. Very silly. Ten minutes to go against Namibia when the game's won. What are you thinking? Absolutely ridiculous and reckless. So, Ethan De Groot, you get the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And Jim, you've got a shout-out to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, I have. And it's to friend of the show, Kenny Logan, the great Kenny Logan. Go on, Kenny. Yeah, they're doing a team cycle from Edinburgh to Paris to support My Name's Doddy Foundation. Of course they are. So the message, I suppose, is to let's get behind Kenny and the team and be part of the cure by donating and head over to Kenny Logan's RWC, which is Rugby World Cup Challenge, on Instagram and contribute wherever we can. There's a few hashtags as well that will be out there, and I'm going to read them unapologetically. Hashtag be part of the cure. Hashtag MNDF, which is Motor Neurons Disease Foundation. Hashtag Kenny Logan RWC Challenge. I am going to tell him that the hashtags are too long, especially them ones, and they're quite a mouthful. But they are for an unbelievable cause, as we know. Kenny's a great man as well. Everything he's been through with his prostate cancer that got removed and the profile is raised over it. But obviously, we don't want to lose the momentum that we have been gathering around the MND awareness and raising funds. So, Kenny, you and the boys, big shout out. And we'll hopefully see you at the end in Paris. Thanks, Jim. And thanks again for all the Beyond Expected stories. This one is from Bill Batterstone from Pittsburgh, who's fallen in love with rugby. His Beyond Expected story is from when he went to the Sevens World Cup in San Francisco in 2018 and met a couple of England fans. They got chatting as the dads and the sons were similar ages. That weekend turned into a friendship and the four of them have reunited in Vegas for the Sevens in 2019, a trip to Pittsburgh for the Steelers game together and a return trip to England for a Gloucester game. They're all in touch and rooting for England at the World Cup, a chance meeting at a bar in San Francisco between two fathers and two sons from across the Atlantic has then turned into a friendship that continues to this day. Well done, lads. Enjoy an Asahi on us. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Gertie. And thanks, Producer Fred, for stepping in for Producer Rob this week. What happened to Rob and, and Nice, Jim? Uh, he got swept out to seas in Africa at the minute. I am fucking going home. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rubby Spod. Spotted Pod, 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 Pod. Uh-huh.